0: Welcome to Season 2 of Landline Study the Word with Michael. I am so happy to be here with you today. I've got to say that I missed you. I missed sitting in front of this microphone and talking to you about the things of God, directly from the Word of God, without denominational spin, without personal opinions, without all of the current events, topics that have been going on. I just long to share the truth of the Word with you. We cut out of season one a bit early for personal reasons, so I thought I'd give you a little bit of an update as to what's been going on in the Land family and with Foundation Christian Ministries over the past few months. I think I'll just throw this out to you this way and say that 2021 will not be remembered as my favorite year on record. I've lived 52 years on this planet and I'm going to tell you that 2021 is probably at the bottom of the list of my favorites. We have faced personal losses on a large scale throughout the year. On both my side of the family and my wife's side, there's been suffering, there's been loss. My children have had to face Losses and they have never experienced that before, and that's a difficult thing. Just when one event would take place and we would begin to build a new normal, then another event would take place and knock the wind out of us, and we've struggled. But I can tell you this, and I can tell you with 100% assurance and 100% joy that every step of the way, God. Has shown himself faithful. And when I have looked around me and seen the waves crashing in, and when I have heard the thunder of the storms of life, and when I have suffered loss, and when I've cried in my sleep, God has always shown me that He was there. That isn't just hype or hyperbole. I can point back to event after event after event and then look just before that and realize how God had mysteriously created an environment in which I could survive the difficulty. God has shown me that he's like the master chess player and when we fully yield to his will he moves us through this life like a chess piece on his board, though the piece does not know the strategy the player does. He has been involved step by step in everything that has happened in our lives. Even the difficult things, even the hard and painful things, God has been there with us every step of the way, holding us up and helping us to move forward. I can point back to, we had to replace our vehicle and we got a vehicle that was larger than what we needed and then a couple of months later. My mother moved in with us. We not only got a vehicle that had an extra seat, but God filled that seat. We were able to move from a house that was not an ideal circumstance for any family. It was too small. It was substandard. It was dangerous even. To where I am now coming to you from a beautiful home in Springfield, Missouri, in what I like to call Studio O, the O standing for my office. We are comfortable, we are safe, we are warm. Ladies and gentlemen, I haven't shared this with very many people at all, but for the past several years, I have been carrying buckets of water to provide for my family. We have lived in an environment with no real heat and no real air conditioning, in a climate that goes from sub-zero temperatures to triple-digit temperatures, and I've been trying to raise a family in that environment. But God has provided a home that is safe, secure, and comfortable far more than we deserve, And Every day, I, the first thing that we did when we got in this home was sit down in a circle in the floor, my wife, me, my four children, and we each and everyone prayed a prayer of gratitude for this home, recognizing that this home is going to be the launching pad a new era in Foundation Christian Ministries from this home we are going to begin to reach out to our community and to our world and we are thankful even to this day three months after moving into this home my three-year-old daughter every time we pray over a meal whoever prays over the meal as soon as they're finished she says and thank you for this house it's so pretty we are grateful that God has been with us every step of the way My son and I went back out to the farm just this past weekend to pick up some things that were still there, some books and some odds and ends. And it was such a stark reminder of where God has brought us from and where we are now. And it made us even more thankful for what we have now. We believe that we went through the hardships that we've gone through over the past several years so that we can be prepared to minister to people who are going through hardships like those. We know what it's like to live in a horrible condition. We know what it's like to carry our own water. We know what it's like for a family of six to live in one room. So when God puts people in front of us who are suffering and struggling and going through difficult times, we can put our arm around them and we can say, hey, it's okay, I've been there, and God has brought us out, and he's gonna bring you out too. The vision of Foundation Christian Ministries has always been to meet people where they are, in their struggles, and help them with the love and the hand of God. So God has brought us through by his hand so that we'd be prepared for that. And I just wanted to take a few moments and tell you how great our God is. He always meets our needs. My dear friend, Pastor Randy Urich, who passed away this past year, always used to say, he called it the gap principle, God always provides. Whenever you were struggling with something, he would point out God always provides. And you know what? He was right. So, from Studio O today, in the house that God provided, I am thrilled to bring to you Episode 1 of Season 2 of Landline, Study the Word with Michael. During our recent hiatus from recording the podcast, we did on the Foundation Christian Ministries Facebook page, and if you weren't a part of that group, you really need to join that group. Check us out, Foundation Christian Ministries uh, on Facebook. Uh, we are a group, and uh, we would love to have you as a part of us. Anyway, we did a 40-day prayer closet challenge In this house that God has provided for my family and me, the house from which I'm broadcasting today, there is an odd little closet just off of my bedroom. It doesn't have any shelves, it doesn't have a bar to hang clothes off of, and it has a window, but it's the size of a medium-sized closet. And I was wondering what to do with it. It was kind of an oddball room. It just didn't seem to fit the floor plan. And then I ran across a comment about being in your prayer closet. And I thought, what better place to get away from it all and daily spend time with God? Now, I'm going to be 100% transparent with you and tell you that I have not been 100% Perfect in this commitment of daily prayer in the prayer closet. Uh, It it takes some getting used to going in there and being by myself. There's no furniture in there. I just sit on the floor. I have my Bible with me. I have learned not to take my cell phone with me because of distractions. But I began a 40-day walk building the habit of spending time with God, in a dedicated space where there are no distractions, where there aren't children asking me for things, there's no cell phone drawing my attention away, I'm not on social media, I'm not doing any of those things, I'm not reading a book, I am just communing with God. And I gotta tell you, it has changed my life. And I wanted to share that with the group, so I created a 40-day prayer closet challenge. And each day I put a scripture passage and a prayer prompt, so to speak, on the Foundation Christian Ministries page to try to get people to walk on this journey with me. And that 40 days of prayer and studying the word and focusing on the things that I believe God wanted me to, to lead us in prayer on has changed my outlook on everything. At first I thought, you know, well, we, we need to pray for our uh, nation, we need to pray for our leaders. We need to, and that's all very true. We need to pray for those things. But I really believed and felt that God was leading me to focus on inner change, change of outlook, renewing my mind, and leading people to a place of repentance and a place of change. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I truly believe that a big problem in the church today is that we spend a lot of time thinking like the world. Therefore, I felt led that this... 40 days of prayer needed to be focused on renewing our mind, changing the way we're wired, changing the way we're programmed, changing the way we think. All of the other stuff can be prayed for, but these particular topics were of vital importance and I believed that they were the purpose of this 40 day challenge. So this may have seemed like a self-centered challenge and in a way it was. It was changing me in every way. And so each day I addressed another part of changing myself. And what you see is what you get. This was exactly what I needed to change in myself, knowing that there are other people out there who were probably facing similar needs as I do. And each one of these scriptures and prayer prompts was kind of one of those, that'll preach moments. Every preacher knows what that moment is like, when a verse or a passage pops into your mind and you look at it and it speaks to you freshly and you think, I could build an entire sermon out of that. But these prayer prompts were almost one-liners. They were simply to get you started, to get the thought started so that you would know what to pray about when you were in your prayer closet that day. So I didn't have the luxury of time and space to, to develop each thought into the sermon that basically blossomed in my heart while I was writing it down. But now I do. So right now, if you're able to, I'd really like it if you would go grab your Bible, grab a notepad and piece of paper, or if you're driving or running or whatever you're doing while you're listening to this podcast, just plug in and listen to what we have to say because God's about to begin a work in us of renewal, of change that is going to cause us to walk closer in relationship with Him. So let's get ready to have our minds renewed and to be transformed by the Word of God. I'm Michael Land and this is Landline.
1: To my dad, Michael Land. We're glad you're listening to Landline Study the Word with Michael. We really hope you enjoy it. The whole reason we do this podcast is to reach as many people for Jesus as we can. Dad also writes blog posts and learning materials for various different ministries. God has made it possible for us to reach people all over the world, and we're thankful you can make it here with us. Be sure to click your like and subscribe buttons on your favorite podcast platform, that really helps us out. In Season 2 of our podcast, there are some great new features. We are now producing videos and building a YouTube channel. I hope you'll check it out. If you like what you hear, we invite you to support our ministry on Patreon. This will help us to reach out to more people and produce better programs. Dad will tell you more about that later. God bless you and thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of the program.
0: book of 2nd Chronicles chapter 16. Let's focus for a moment on the first part of verse 9. We'll get to the context in a moment. 2nd Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. I would like you to remember that. I'm going to read it again. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. In our text passage, Asa, the king of Judah, made some foolish choices. What you have to remember here is even though we usually we read about Israel and Israel is the protagonist in most stories in scripture. But in this case, we were at a time period of a divided kingdom. Israel to the north and Judah to the south. The king of Israel was named Basha and he was not a man of faith. He embraced idolatry. He uh, embraced many sinful practices. The king of Judah, however, Asa was a man of faith He built a reputation for casting out idolaters from the land. He even removed his own mother from her role of power and authority as the the queen mother because of her embracing of idolatry. So Basha, the king of Israel, to the north, had fortified the city of Ramah. That's a city about five miles north of Jerusalem, and it was his way of blockading Jerusalem. This blockade would have had the impact of precluding any military reinforcements and restricting trade for Judah to choke off the economy of Asa's kingdom. This was a big deal. This was a major incursion into Asa's territory and the economic and political consequences could be severe if left unchecked. From Rama, Basha could easily pose a real military threat to Jerusalem. He could easily march his army the five miles and lay siege to the great city. Asa was accustomed to walking in the favor of God. He pleased God with his lifestyle. Choice after choice was made to follow God rather than man, and Asa proved time and time again that he was faithful. In 1 Kings 15, verse 14, it tells us that he was a leader whose heart was, quote, wholly true to the Lord all his days. Wouldn't that be great to be remembered as that? But it's important for us to remember that even the most faithful of men can stumble. Even the best among us is flawed. When Basha fortified Rama, Asa was completely shaken. In his eyes, this was an exceptionally dangerous situation, militarily, politically, economically, and even personally. In the 36 years of his reign, God had protected Judah countless times. However, this invasion of his territory shook Asa's faith to the core. Asa took the treasures of the house of the Lord and used them as an enticement to convince the king of Syria to side with Judah rather than with Israel so that Basha would withdraw. So literally he bribed an enemy of his people using the treasures of the house of the Lord. He bribed him with God's money. What could possibly go wrong? Now in our modern society, this seems normal. Governments operate this way on a daily basis. In an effort to reduce support for a hostile nation, a leader might offer some form of concession to encourage other leaders to break alliances or to build uh, coalitions to go into a military campaign. Promises are made, trading funds and resources as well as political favors and military support. It's all a normal part of negotiation between governments. It's sort of the art of the deal in modern language. Earlier I mentioned that even the most faithful of men stumble. This is a truism that we often forget, however, it's vital that we remind ourselves that the very best of men is fallible. Asa looked upon this conflict with Basha in the way that most earthly men would, and that was his mistake reading from the context of the scripture, it says, at that time, Hanani, the seer or the prophet came to Asa, king of Judah and said to him, now listen to this. Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord, your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans, a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. That's the context of our text today. The prophet was sent to Asa by God to say, look, look at the past. Remember when you fought against Ethiopia and the Libyans? Remember how huge their army was and how overwhelming their weaponry was? But you relied on God. You relied on the Lord and his promises and not on your own plans, not on the wisdom of man. The scripture says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of our Lord, God of Israel. There's an interesting contrast drawn here that helps us to understand the meaning of Hanani's choice of words. I believe that in scripture, every word is chosen intentionally. Hanani said, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. There's several key points to be taken here. When the Bible speaks of fools and foolishness, It's typically a reference to one of three kinds of people. First, one who denies God's existence or his power, despite strong evidence to the contrary. Psalm chapter 14, verse one says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. What possible reason can mankind have to deny the existence of God when there's so much evidence around us? When we look at his creation and simple logic says it could not have happened by chance. When we look at the unexplainable intervention of God's hand in our lives and in our history where things occur in ways that could not possibly happen by chance, there is so much tangible evidence of God's existence, and of God's faithfulness, that to deny it is completely irrational. So what does mankind gain by denying the existence or the faithfulness of God? It's simple. Psalm chapter 14 verse 3 spells it out. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Why deny the existence of God and his power? In other words, the reason fools deny God and his power is simply so that they can do corrupt deeds without the accountability that comes from the existence of God. Because God is holy, and we know that God is holy. And so when we want to do unholy things, when we want to live in an unholy way, we deny his existence or his faithfulness. Because it takes the pressure off. A 17th century Puritan I enjoy reading when I have the time and the silence to get through the 17th century English language. Uh, His name was Stephen Charnock, and he was outstanding in a lot of the things that he wrote. In one of his discourses called Practical Atheism, Charnock said, quote, Actions are a greater discovery of a principle than words. The testimony of works is louder and clearer than that of words, and the frame of man's heart must be measured rather by what they do than by what they say. There may be a mighty distance between the tongue and the heart, but a course of actions is as little guilty of lying as interest is, according to our common saying. All out, now listen to this part. All outward impieties are the branches of an atheism at the root of our nature, as all pestilential sores are expressions of the contagion of the blood. Sin is therefore frequently called ungodliness in our English dialect. What he's saying here is that the reason we sin is because there's a bit of atheistic disbelief in each of us, or in other words, if we truly believe that God is who he is, that his word is true, and that he has done the things that he said he would do, and can do the things he said he would do, then we would, in terror, flee from sin. We would run from disbelief because if we truly believe that God was all powerful the way his word describes, we would be terrified of displeasing him. Think about that for a moment. Asa, though he never claimed to renounce his belief in God, demonstrated his lack of true belief in God's ability or willingness to deliver on his promises to the tribe of Judah. He devised his own plans and that displeased God in his lack of faith. If God is not a keeper of his word, if God is not a keeper of his promises, then God ceases to be God. Asa displeased God with his lack of faith and he was a fool in God's eyes. You have acted foolishly in this. The second kind of person that the scripture calls a fool is one who makes a mockery of sin or the the idea of repentance. Proverbs 14, verses eight and nine says, the wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. This means that God calls those who mock the idea of sin and repentance fools. This is a rampant problem, not only in the world, where people boast of their sinful deeds and mock devout Christians for their moral absolutes, but in the church as well. A commentator, Ron Hartman said the following, quote, what, did you honestly think fools cannot be found in the church? Have you ever heard the term legalism kicked around? Properly understood, legalism is the attempt to obtain salvation through the keeping of the law. However, this is not generally how it is applied in today's churches. All you have to do is mention words like obedience or holiness, and you instantly are branded as being legalistic. The truth is that this is a rejection of what God calls sin and by the very ones who should be forsaking such sin, quote. I am often called a legalist simply because I believe that when God says, be holy as I am holy, he meant it. When you bring that to people's attention, it pricks their consciences. And they instantly lash out by calling you legalistic or religious in nature. I was told you have a religious nature because I pointed out in general, God has standards that he expects us, demands for us to live by. And anything less is sin. And by saying that, I am relegated to those who are of a religious spirit, those who are judgmental, those who are legalistic. So, frankly, most people, when they use the term legalistic, completely lose my attention. Because the Lord our God is holy, and the Lord our God does have a standard by which he expects us to walk, and that standard is Jesus Christ. We can write all the songs that we want to in popular Christian culture that say, you know, perfection is my enemy, but perfection is our goal and that perfection is Jesus Christ. And we need to walk in him, being perfected by him, for that is his expectation. And the word of God tells us how to do that. But in this case, by walking in his own wisdom, Asa displayed his lack of belief in God's ability or his willingness to carry out his promises. By using the very treasures of God, the treasures of the house of the Lord to pay for these plans, he made a mockery of the sinfulness of his actions and of the need to be faithful to God. So Asa is once again, filling the role of a fool. The third kind of person that God identifies as a fool is that person who strives for greatness on this earth and may live their best life now, but fails to amply prepare for death and for eternity. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21, Jesus is talking, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all the grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this is Jesus talking, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. In a society where we thrive on abundance, where the church teaches about material abundance rather than about spiritual wealth and health, and in which we often gauge a man's value by the material wealth he gathers in this life, the only true abundance we often see is an abundance of what Jesus called fools. I once knew a pastor and his wife whose entire message was built around the material and reputational increase they could gain through their position as a Christian, as a pastor, as a business person. The pastor's wife even had a placard on the organ she played that simply read increase. Not surprisingly, the special guests that were often invited to speak at their church were the very same men who have walked into controversy due to their extravagant lifestyles and the need for things like private jets and such. I regularly get emails and messages from ministers all over the world who only ever talk about things like material gain and increase and quote scriptures that mention prosperity and wealth. Many of these people, hear me now, many of these people will die wealthy on earth but will find themselves spiritually destitute. And when Asa chose his own wisdom and the promise of the might of armies to protect his interests rather than the promises of God, he demonstrated a great lack of faith or foolishness. When he chose to compound that lack of faith by using the very treasures of the house of the Lord to pay for it, he escalated his error from faithlessness to a mockery of the sin he was committing and by focusing on self-preservation and preservation of his own interests rather than on following the will of God and seeking the face of God in that situation. He was basically building storehouses for his own goods, storehouses for his own safety, storehouses for his own sense of security, and he was not looking to God, the author and the finisher of our faith. Asa was three times a fool. Hanani said to King Asa, You have done foolishly in this. You have acted a fool. You have placed your faith in the wisdom of men and in the might of armies, but not in the wisdom of God. Not only that, but you have used the very treasures of the house of the Lord to carry out your faithless plans. And though the, you might think you've gotten away with it, there will be lifelong consequences for your lack of faith in the flaunting of the sovereignty of God. So in this instance, When Hanani said the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him, blameless would indicate the opposite of foolishness or one who believes in the Lord, his sovereignty and his ability to accomplish his will. Asa's sin was lack of faith in the God he claimed to follow. Asa's sin was defying the very God he had fought for in the past. We are called to be blameless. We are called to acknowledge God, his holiness, his authority, his power in all our ways and he will direct our paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says it best. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So Father, as we begin season two on this podcast, we are focused on renewing our minds your word says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect this is what we want this is the thrust of our ministry this is the passion of our hearts So today, let us begin the work of renewing our minds. Let us stop looking to our own resourcefulness, to the wealth of our hands, to the strength of our alliances. But God, let us look to you. You are our source. You are our protector. And just as my little girl walks up to me and puts her hands high in the air and outstretches her arms toward me, Let me approach you as my protector, my provider, my defender, my everything, my all in all. I ask this for me and for these listeners today in the precious name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and my savior, the Holy one of Israel, amen.